Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Tuesday, December the 12th. And as we like to do once a week, we'll be chatting with our good friend, uh, Mr. Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Bill, welcome. It's always a great pleasure to have you. Delighted to be here, Silvio. You know, I want to begin today with just a little change of topics. Uh, but Frank Sinatra was born on this day in 1915. In New Jersey, you probably know this because you're a big fan. Hoboken. Uh, yes, son of Italian immigrants. And now I, I have the answer to a trivia question that I always had over the years. And that is, why do they say Francis Albert? Because that was his name. That's right. Uh, that was his real name. I think there was an album that I remember one time called Francis Albert Sinatra. And I always say, why do they do that? Well, I saw today on, on his biography that that was his birth name, Francis but, uh, let, you know, he was such a dynamic person. Uh, it, it went beyond, you know, generations. Why do you think he was so great? I mean, he, he just had tremendous appeal, uh, Bill. He was a terrific singer. And he, he took his singing very seriously. There's a story about him that back in the 1950s, he studied English grammar uh, on his own so he could understand the lyrics better. Uh, and he was, I mean, if you listen to his recordings, they were they were just nearly perfect. Uh, he he knew how to deliver a song. Um, he had a wonderful voice. Uh, he had a wonderful style. And you could listen to him for hours. Yeah. Now, did he have, uh, he, he had a very unique voice. Uh, but did he have a, uh, you know, like a uh, a Broadway type of voice? Because it seemed like, his voice was very different than all the other voices. I mean, you take out Nat King Cole, for example, yes. a very different voice. Yes. Um, I'm thinking Dean Martin was the other one, Perry Como, not necessarily in that time, but but he just had a very different voice. I mean, Sinatra, you hear the his music or his voice, and you know it's Sinatra. At least that's I can I can detect it just by the voice that it's yes. Sinatra. Well, he considered himself, as he described it, as a saloon singer. And he said there were only two saloon singers left in the world, he and Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett just died uh, about right. uh, a month ago. Right. But uh, that's the way he described himself. I would just say he was a damn good nightclub singer of popular songs. And he, he always chose his material well. Um, he uh, always had wonderful orchestras and, and uh, arrangements. And he always gave the arranger credit. You know, he'll say a Don Costa arrangement. Uh, he was a he was a professional in every way. Uh, and uh, I don't think I've ever heard him give a bad performance. Yeah. Now, he didn't write any of his songs, right? No. OK. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I have nothing against, uh, uh, you know, performers writing their own music. Peggy Lee wrote a couple of good songs that were became popular. Um but very few can do it well. I mean, if, you know, I, I remember when that that whole phase of the industry began back in the late 1960s. And I was working in the industry in New York. And these kids would come in and say, we write our own music. And I always was tempted to say, do you also perform brain surgery? <laughs> I mean, as if it's just something you do. Oh, I'm going to sit down and write a song. It is very, anybody can write a song. But writing a good one? Very rare talent. Right. There's an old saying that every Juilliard graduate dreams of writing one Irving Berlin song. 
<laughs> and and it, you, and you can't. And then you get these people like Richard Rogers who can write a thousand hits, nice. and you wonder how anybody can do it. It's a, it's a God given talent. Yes. But uh, writing a really good song is one of the most difficult things I can imagine. Yes. Sinatra, <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I think all of that stuff about the songwriter, you know, singer and all of that, a lot of, a lot of that became popular with the Beatles. Yes. Uh, who wrote a lot of their own stuff. But I think that when you write your own stuff, you don't have as much variety. Of course not. Uh, as when you're singing. Of course, not everybody can can sit back and have songwriters send them material. I assume that songwriters would kill each other just to to make sure that their next song was on on the next Sinatra album, you know? Oh, absolutely. They look that the old idea of writing songs and trying to get them to songwriters or to publishers at one time was it was a whole industry. That's where George Gershwin began. He began as a song plugger down on the in the uh, song, music district of New York, which was in the 20s in Manhattan. And they would, this is before he became a composer, they would get the songs in from writers and they would play them for publishers, for singers, for performers, trying to get the song out there. And, uh, you know, we, we forget that before recordings, the way songs became popular was through sheet music. People would go in and they'd have a piano in their home uh, and they would buy the sheet music and they would sing to it. And that is the way popular music was spread. Uh, wonderful, wonderful situation. And the song pluggers would try to get that sheet music uh, uh, performed. Um, the, the, the popular music industry has changed. We went through what might be called the golden age, where popular music in America was written by real composers. And you, we know the famous names, or at least our generation does. I don't know if those names will last, but names like Gershwin and Richard Rogers and Cole Porter, uh, really the greats, uh, Jerome Kern and, they, and Irving Berlin, and they wrote beautiful music. Then that era ended, and unfortunately, I think some of the stuff since has been not, not quite on that level. Well, a lot of the stuff, just one more question about that, a lot of the stuff that those gentlemen wrote that you mentioned ended up in Broadway, right? Oh, yes. Uh, because when you, well, when you were saying those names, I began to associate them with Broadway plays, musicals, that is. Well, that's very true. At one time, a good part of our popular music and a good part of the popular music that was played on radio or on uh, in television shows like your hit parade came from Broadway shows. Broadway was, in fact, it was New York that was Music City, not Nashville. It was New York, and many of them came from Broadway shows. You could turn on, on Saturday night, uh, the hit parade, half-hour program, uh, and half the songs came from the latest Broadway musicals. Hmm, interesting. Well, one more thing about Frank Sinatra. He did have something else in common with Elvis Presley. Neither one wrote their own songs that right. much. <laughs> uh, that's probably all they have in common. But uh, but yeah, those two, well, they, they both had huge impact as well uh, in popular culture. Well, let's get to some, uh, I guess, some of the sad stuff happening around the world. And let's begin with our universities. These college presidents came to Congress. And, you know, Bill, when I go back and I, I hear them answering those questions, I'm absolutely astonished how tone deaf these people are. Yes. And I concluded, and that's why I wanted to mention today, that what you have among these college presidents, not all of them, of course, but the ones in 
and those three who were there is basically people who are constantly talking to, it seems like everybody they're talking to agrees with them. Yes. There's nobody in the group that is different. Uh, we all know who they voted for. We all know what they believe. I mean, it's so they're, they're just all identical. Their names are different. Their physical appearance is different, but they're all basically identical. And that is why I think why you got those answers, Bill. Yes, and they, they come from a, uh, a background and from an atmosphere and a culture where everything is analyzed. You know, it's, it's, we analyze, let, let us examine this. Well, you know, how much do you need to examine the Holocaust in order to be against it? And I think that's what shocked them. They seemed to be three women who felt nothing. You know, that, that it was all uh, some type of analytical thing. And I, I believe that is what disappointed people. They didn't seem human. They didn't seem to have human feelings. I mean, when, when asked if, if uh, somebody said if, if the genocide of Jews was against university policy, to say, well, it depends on the context. What kind of a context do you need? I mean, it's... <laughs> You know, they should, they should, somebody should have said, of course, obviously. And again, no passion, no feelings, just this kind of mechanical uh, approach to everything. And you have this image in your head of three people, probably from the political left, who had been taught that you could analyze every event in life. And I think it disappointed people. I think, well, they, yeah. I, I think they were treated more roughly because they were women, because we expect more of women. We expect them to feel something. Yeah, well, I, I mean, certainly women in those positions and yes. after what we had seen in those universities. Yes. Uh, I mean, if we had not seen those marches or those, you know, those things that were being said right there in the campus. But I think what struck a lot of people watching across the country, Bill, is that these are the, the same places, universities, where the, you can be sent to a re-education camp for using the wrong pronoun. That's exactly right. You know, you can be, I mean, you can be fired, I guess, for not believing in a certain <laughs> dogma. And and if, uh, like, you know, if you gave a speech about how men should play with men and women should play with women, they would try to cancel that speech or, oh, or, or call you whatever. Oh, I mean, another, yes. Another thing that outraged people was the hypocrisy. I mean, they talk about free speech, and everyone knows that on most of those campuses, there is no real free speech. In the listing of, of uh, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, which is the organization that examines and judges these things, and very well known, Harvard came out dead last in free speech, something right. like 248. Uh, and here, here's that president talking about free speech. Right. somebody should have asked, well, what have you done about it to solve your problems? But yes, they're one of those schools that has punished people for expressing the wrong ideas uh, and uh, for oppressing others. They all have all this, these gimmicky left-wing expressions and they, they didn't. The, uh, the, uh, the, there was just such outrage at the way they conducted themselves. Now, I don't know what's going to happen. They, they, one of them has resigned. The you, president of the University of Pennsylvania, who was on that congressional panel or that panel that was testifying before Congress, has now resigned. The president of Harvard was given a bill of confidence by uh, her board of overseers, and she will stay on. 
even though I think her reputation has been marred. And the president of MIT, which apparently has the worst problem of all, uh, was given a, a bill of confidence immediately, even though they're, the treatment of Jewish students at, uh, at MIT, which, which is the subject, has apparently been very disturbing, where they have really been threatened. And I'd like to know also why the press is so reluctant to tell us who's doing the threatening. You know, they talk about threats, but these people, apparently the threats are being made by people with no names and no identities. Well, and they do have flags. They're waving the same flag, so maybe maybe that gives you a hint, Bill. Yes, well, I think a lot of them are foreign students. Right. And apparently, from what I understand and have read, the foreign students are very valuable to the universities because they, they are never on scholarship uh, paid for here. They are either paid by a wealthy family at home or by their government, and they pay full freight, which means the, they, they, the, the universities make a lot of money. Uh, and the what is also striking, and I think this is an even bigger part of the story, is that many of these universities take grants from their, the governments, governments that are dictatorships, that abuse women, and yet they take the grants and nobody is saying anything about it. Right. Well, what, what should be concerning, I'm, I'm glad to see that, you know, I saw one of the, the senator from New York. Uh, um, Gillibrand. Gillibrand. The governor from Pennsylvania. Shapiro. Uh, right. There have been a couple of others, too, who, who couldn't believe, I mean, this context line. But I, I just, you know, it seems to me that if you have a group of students in your school and they all share the same ethnic background, in this case, ethnic, I mean, they're Jewish or at least religious background, they may be Americans, uh, and they're being harassed, uh, that should be dealt with very strongly. I mean, the, the authorities at the school should guarantee at least the safety of the students, Bill. Well, that, that was one of the sensitive points that was brought up, and the uh, the the... Uh, point was raised that Jews are no longer considered a, uh, a vulnerable minority. Uh, they're considered privileged and, uh, and privileged white and oppressive. Uh, now, you know, uh, Jews lost. They love these adjectives. Don't oh, they, well, those, they come right out of the, the political right. left. Yeah. So you have to be a member of one of the uh, approved uh, uh, groups in order for the university to show concern and an approved group is a group that is seen as downtrodden non-white uh, uh probably uh multi-gender and if you if you get into one of those groups then they will take action because right. you are uh, or by definition oppressed but if you are jewish you are the oppressor because you're white and successful uh, and uh, you don't expect any help from them and that came out also and of course it's, it's been outrageous uh, because there have been so many incidents, anti-Semitic incidents on college campuses, but it tells you the condition of today's colleges. Absolutely, uh, and I think it could be the the reason that you you said it, but I was I was thinking about this before that they put many of the Jewish students in the category of white because exactly many right. of the Jewish Americans have European backgrounds. And, that's exactly and, and right. You can yes. tell by their last names, for example, yes. that they're not from the Middle East, although there are many Jewish people that I've met, you know, just socially who are not white Europeans, Bill. They're, they're more, I hate the Middle Eastern is the only... Well, North African. 
Yes. And um, uh, they they would come from uh, the north. Middle East is, is North Africa, or they were, are uh, Sephardic, which basically means Spanish. Um, the uh, there are loads of, of Jews whose native language was Spanish. Right. Uh, the, Edie the, Gourmet. Edie, Edie Gourmet, Gourmet. Yes, is is one of them. She was That's a translator right. at the UN. Right. Uh, and um, the, I, I think, in fact, that the oldest synagogue in Manhattan is a Sephardic synagogue. Uh, the, the, the 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 they're generally divided into two groups: Ashkenazi, which is European, Sephardic, which is uh, Iberian Peninsula and North Africa, and and also there are apparently, from what I've been told, over a million Black Jews in the United States. Hmm. So uh, the all all the stereotyping is nonsense, and the, apparently because uh, they they are believed to represent Israel, which they don't actually, but they're or pro-Israel, they have been treated very roughly by the Palestinians on college campuses who do not seem to know how to behave. I mean, there, there were, in fact, Jews, Jewish students who got locked in rooms and the, and the police had to get them out or were, had their classes interrupted. Now, there are rules against that in these universities. The idea is to get the rules followed. That's right. Well, what was interesting, um, and, and, this is, and this is something that, that maybe drives this idea that that Jewish people are white capitalists or whatever, and it could be because there are may, so many successful Jewish people in business, yes, or in professions. I mean, attorneys, doctors, uh, business people. So many, you know, so many of the foundations who contribute millions of dollars to these schools uh, have a Jewish family, like this Huntsman family. Yes. So maybe that's it. They equate. Uh, Jewish students with, uh, like you say, the oppressor. Yes. And and as a consequence, they, you know, they don't get the same treatment. But I'm glad this is happening because it's all out there now. Now now it is out there. Yeah. And, and we hope that the issue not only lasts but spreads because other groups are treated very badly also. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, um, uh, and, and the Jews also are considered oppressors because they're friends of Israel, which is considered the oppressor even though it's a country the size of new jersey and and the only jewish state in the world and the muslims have 57 countries and the jews are considered the oppressor it's it's look it's all irrational it's all very much driven by left-wing politics mm -hmm. uh and uh it, it has though been very jolting because many Americans were unaware. They thought these colleges were pristine places and didn't realize how unpristine they really are. Well, especially what they call elite colleges. Because, yes, the Ivy League. Yeah, because if you look at, I mean, there have been presidents of other schools who've come out, you know, against uh, this kind of anti-Semitism. I know there was, I saw one on TV here in Texas. Several have come out in favor or against uh, this kind of anti-Semitism. So, I'm glad it's out there, Bill, because, you know, we can all see it now. And I really do believe the credibility of Harvard has really been impacted. I, I, think, I, really, I think it has. Yeah. And I'm I, not sure how much longer they can keep this lady as president. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point down the line she decides that maybe she wants to spend more time with her family. You know, yeah, that's the, it's the usual. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know. <laughs> Excuse me. They have. She is, of course, a woman of color, which makes it a more sensitive issue. But I think if she made one more mistake, that was a serious mistake. She would find herself, you know, teaching again. 
Um, uh, but I, I, I they, they want to protect her. They want to protect mm -hmm. her. You know, I mean, there was an, a sense of outrage over the way these uh, college presidents behaved. But remember, that's only on one side. There's another side that was supporting them. And, right. uh, uh, and, and, and there is this, this upsurge of anti-Semitism, which always leads to an upsurge in uh, bigotry against other groups. Right. There's an old saying in, in, the, in the study of bigotry. It starts with the Jews, but it never ends with the Jews. Right, and, exactly. And, and if the you 20th are, century is a good example of that. Perfect example. And if, you, yeah. if I were right now an African-American, if I were Hispanic, I'd realize that trouble might be coming. That's because, right. Because once bigotry is accepted, the, the bigots stop moving. That's right. I thought it was interesting. One last thought about all of this. Uh, they were blocking a bridge in, in New York last night or the traffic. And what they were saying was absolutely stunning. They were saying uh, KKK, N NYPD, uh, IDF, all the same. Something like that. Yes. Thing. Yes. Which is, I mean, just if, just listening to that points out what idiots these people are. Oh, they're, they're, I, look, I've heard this that same chant since the Vietnam War, you know? Uh, I, I recall they would, they, they, would, uh, they, would, they would march over the bridges when Ariel Sharon was Prime Minister of Israel, and they would say, Hitler, Sharon, they're the same. The only difference is the name. Right. Uh, or uh, the, 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 another one was, uh, this one last week was, BB, BB, you can't hide. We charge you with genocide. I don't even know what genocide is. Right. And God knows they. And then there's from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Right. And a, an article I was reading said that the reporters talked to these kids. They had no idea what river they were talking about. You know, <laughs> I thought it was the Nile. Yeah, the was Nile. It? Yes. Yeah, the Nile, or maybe the Amazon, or something. Yeah. I mean, these. Uh, in a way, when you combine the ignorance of the of the people marching and what we saw from the presidents, uh, you know, I can understand why a lot of people who donate a lot of money are having second thoughts because these universities need to be cleaned up. That's all. Oh, I, yes. do. I don't right. know how you clean them up quickly. I'll say, I'll be honest because a lot of the problems are the professors, not the presidents. Oh yeah. But the presidents can set the tone bill. They can say, you know, this is the way it's going to be. And yes. But there you can always... teach some, you, you know, they can always say you can teach somewhere else if you don't like it. There has always been bigotry in universities. The rules of segregation in the Old South that segregated black students were not written by people in pickup trucks, which is the image we have. They were written by law professors and other forms of, of bigotry, bigotry against ethnic groups like uh, 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 Jews, Hispanics, other eth ethnic groups were written by, uh, by college professors. The, the universities are not pure places. That's an image that is, as, that is absolutely inaccurate. Some terrible things go, go on and have originated on college campuses. There's an old cliche that every genocide began on a college campus. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's not a, the, 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 and there were, I mean, if you look at some movies from the 1930s made about Germany, like All Quiet on the Western Front, um, the, uh, is that the one I'm thinking of? I, I think it is. You will see in the depicted in the film Nazi professors, mm -hmm. and there were pro-Nazi professors in America. Yes, I mean there were many of them actually. Uh, yes, back in the late 1930s, they, you know, whether they knew what was really happening in Nazi Germany or not, I don't know. But uh, there, there were many, many people who defended that, and I, I remember 
one time watching a documentary that somebody was talking about how everything in Germany was so well organized and, you know, everything was so clean and everything was so perfect, you know, the behavior of people. And I guess they forgot, of course, to to say that, uh, yes, that's because they're run by the Nazis. And if you don't play by their rules, it's not going to be nice. You know, it's sort of like dictators, you know. Yeah, oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. The, well, I mean, the, the Nazi regime was very well run in certain respects. That's right. That's and, right. and the Nazi legal system uh, used some of the best lawyers in Germany. That's why it's important not to think that because someone is educated that, that they're good people. Mm -hmm. Education and wisdom and morality are all different words. That's right. Especially when somebody else is paying your tuition. Exactly. If you were paying your own tuition, maybe you'd take more time to study. But a couple of topics, they're somewhat related, Bill, these two topics. One is the border and what is uh, President Biden's polls that continue to decline. I think you wrote something the other day. Is he the Titanic or, or something like that? Uh, I don't know if he's the Titanic, but he's sinking. And, and it really becomes a... A problem, I think, for the Democrats, because they don't have anybody, as we've talked about before. But one big problem they have, and that's what I like to focus on, is the border, because the Republicans are saying, yeah, we'll give you money for Ukraine, but you have to do something about the border. Yes. And when you have the numbers of people who are coming into the country, Bill, we, you know, we see it on TV like everybody else. I mean, it's a, it's incredible. This is not immigration. This is not asylum. No, what's no, happening no. on the this border? Is, this is an attempt to to jam as many illegals into the country with the hope that they will vote Democratic and and be part of the Democratic Party, and it'll probably succeed. Well, um, I guess it depends on the judges they come they they come up to because these most of these people have to, or at least many of them, have to go in front of a judge so that they, they they can stay in the country. But look. Just because the judge says you have to go back to your country doesn't mean they will. That's uh, right. You no, know, they'll stay here. And but I mean, I look at the governor. I mean, the mayor of Chicago, who's now saying he's going to start suing. Isn't this crazy? He's going to start suing the bus companies for bringing people to his city. Yes. Uh, you've got the the mayor of New York City, who just got back from Washington. I, I guess very dejected because he's not going to get any money. No money. And. I mean, his career, Eric Adams, who had so much potential, I think, a year ago, his, his career may be over. He, this this might be the end of the, the issue that completely destroys him, Bill. It may very well be because, I mean, look at what New York has become. Uh, they were so, so happy to declare themselves a sanctuary city. Again, it's one of these things where they don't even know what they're saying. They never once considered the possibility that they would become a sanctuary city. Uh, they simply pledged that they would be, and they became a sanctuary city, and now they know what it means. You, you'll notice there are no new sanctuary cities. Nobody's declaring themselves, and, and the cities are, are, are then sent the bill. I mean, uh, the, the amount of money that New York City will spend on illegal immigrants will be so large that they may have to cut the, the police department, which is sacrosanct in New York. Uh, defunding the police is something that nobody, well, a small number of, of lefties will accept it, but it would be disastrous for a city already facing disasters. The question I have, Bill, of both Chicago and New York is where's the governor in both of these? I mean, we, I think I know the answer, but I'm anxious to hear what you think, because you have a governor of New York 
who has to see what's happening to that city. The governor of Illinois has to know what's happening. I mean, these are the two most important cities in their state, cities that, like New York City, projects internationally. Chicago has always been an international city. And Los Angeles. Los Angeles. And these cities are in complete uh, I don't even, I don't know, meltdown I guess over the over this issue they are and you would think the governor would step up and say you know what you know uh, we're going to do something about this if I have to uh, you know send some troops down to help Governor Abbott in Texas like other states have done but something has to be done but nothing ever happens from these governors who are supposed to be responsible for the whole state bill. They are, but they are responsible first and foremost to their political party. And you get a Governor Hochul in New York. Uh, the uh, Both the state Senate and the state assembly are heavily Democratic and left-wing Democratic. They're not just members of the Democratic Party. This is the home of the left-wing Democrat, of the Marxists, of the um, elements in the civil rights movement that were always on the extreme left. Uh, and you find the same thing in Illinois. Uh, where the governor, uh, who comes from a very prominent hotel family uh, and wants to be president of the United States, but he is facing a a Chicago that is, they, they go to the polls and they elect the same kind of people every time, people who do more harm. And then they come to the state and the state has no money. Right. And in the case of Illinois, in the, in the case of New York, they don't have any money. In the case of California, they have a deficit of $68 billion, which is a figure. I mean, I, I don't know how you make up a figure like that without cutting significantly into your services. Well, they don't. Because you, yeah. you, you're not going to be able to raise taxes anywhere near to pay for that. Uh, I mean, whose taxes are you going to raise? They're already paying pretty high taxes. Well, they their attitude is that the rich must pay their fair share. And one of these days, they're going to look at the tax base and realize they are paying their fair share. And what's happening in New York, I don't know about other states, is that a lot of people are leaving. It's a big Mm -hmm. out-migration state. And even with the out-migration, the prices of real estate are still high. Nobody wants to cut prices. Why, everybody wants to live in New York, they'll tell you. No, that's not true. The an industry to be in in New York right now is the moving van business. Uh, uh, but it's that's it's you know we 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 look at it with some amusement, but underneath it, it's really the destruction of a city. That some of the people who are leaving are the people that you need in a city to build right. it. Oh, I laugh because I, you know it's one of those times when you laugh more out of sadness. Oh than yes, of, you know oh, what sure. I mean. It's like you're, you're you rather cry. I mean, they're destroying. One of the great cities in the world, New York City, and Chicago used to be a great city. Uh, Los Angeles, you know, used to be a great city, and they're just falling apart. And I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, maybe one of these days we'll learn that Hollywood has moved to Kansas City. Well, or, or something, you know, something like that, just to be able to to survive, uh, Bill. I, I don't know. Well, I, I'd imagine that Hollywood doesn't have very much longer to go. Uh, I think the feature film industry is just about dead. And they don't even, they don't even make movies for American audiences. They, they make them for international audiences. Uh, the television industry is still vibrant. But they, they, I, I think that you're quite right. That, that is a, you can shoot television anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think you're going to find many productions are made outside California because it's cheaper to do it. 
And, and what was it, Georgia? Uh, that Michael, what was that fellow Michael, whatever his name is, uh, closed a studio in Georgia? Yes. Because he was against that law that the governor had passed, uh, the voting law. <laughs> yes. And uh, and I guess, you know, I guess they did. he did come back eventually, just like the Major League All-Star game is going to be in, in, did you hear this, the Major League Baseball game will be in Atlanta next year. It's going to be uh, in Texas in 24. <clears throat> it's going to be here in Texas in 24, but it's going to be in, in Atlanta in 25 because the commissioner got so much heat that he gave it to Atlanta yes. in, in 2025. And I thought it was interesting, Bill, just one more thing about the commissioner. When he showed up at the World Series to give the, you know, the, the trophy, uh, this time to the Rangers, the crowd was booing him. Oh, yes. Yes. Well, he, he became woke. <laughs> yeah. and woke is not popular. And he, he took the, the, the game away from Atlanta, which means a lot of people who expected to make some additional income didn't mm -hmm. make it. And they gave it to some city. I don't even remember what city they gave it to, but in one of these lily white cities where you don't have Denver, I think. They gave it to Denver, yes, I yes. think, where, yeah, that's right. That's right. They, they gave it to Denver, and a lot of the African American leaders were complaining about that. Yes. Saying that they took the money from. Atlanta businesses, exactly. and there is a lot of money in this All-Star game because we're seeing that here already with the All-Star game happening here next July. You're already seeing all the promotions and all the hotels. and That's right. And, uh, I mean, all the, the stuff that is part of it. It's a huge, you know, maybe at one time it was just a game between the National League and the American League, One, you know, one Tuesday in the afternoon, that contributed to the players union. I think that's what it was originally uh, or to the uh, players pension program. That's, that's how, how the whole, whole idea started, but now it's a big event. It's not the super bowl, but it's pretty close bill. Yes, it is. And what, and you, the word event is the one that is important here. Uh, these things are driven by television, but if you can make the super bowl into a three day event, you've got three days of ads. And and that's what it is. The game is almost insignificant. A lot of people who go to the Super Bowl and and, and or or have Super Bowl parties, oh, I I think some of them don't even know who's playing. That's but it's right. we're going to have a Super Bowl party on, uh, or we're going to all go to the Super Bowl in, in New Orleans uh, because we're big fans. And they get to the stadium and they say, "Are they playing? Is there a game?" Uh, it's 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 the events surrounding it. The restaurants make a fortune. Uh, the department stores make a fortune. And at one time, uh, e e at one time when I was growing up, even the World Series didn't have that kind of no. uh, pizzazz. I mean, I think a World Series money for a player was like $8,000. And today, $8,000 uh, is what is, is, is what uh, a hubcap on his car costs. Uh, well, hold, on to, hold on to your seatbelt because the Rangers, each of the Rangers uh, collected – $500,000 for winning the World Series. Incredible. That incredible. is incredible when you consider the money they're already making. But uh, it's a big business thing. And I don't, it doesn't bother me that that it's big business as long as the the game isn't messed up with, you know, as long as the game is the same game. And it generally is. Yes. But, but I just, uh, but I can tell you that when he took that game away from Atlanta, he upset a lot of people. And many of them are people who vote Democrat. That's uh, that's right. That's exactly did, right. Didn't I read yesterday that some player just got seven hundred million dollars? 
Yes. Yes. That but is. It's, uh, it's, it's, it, in the end, it's going to destroy the game because how do you root for a guy who who makes a hundred thousand dollars every time he comes to bat? Or just he by swings. Standing yeah. There? That's right. Well, the where it's going to hurt the game, and it's already really in a way doing it, but is that it creates not every team has the same source of revenue. That's right. Because of the television market. And that's what eventually I think the, the, the union has to be very careful about this yes. because uh, they could really end up uh, hurting the game. Bill, as always, thank you for, for joining us. And I look forward to our next time. I'm sure there'll be uh, other similar issues that we'll get into. But as always, thank you. And thank you for the great work you do at Urgent Agenda. Thank you, sir. And I look forward to our next meeting. All right. Our good friend, uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda, joining us as we like to do once a week, talking about, I thought his comments on the colleges today were really good. I thought that was uh, very much exactly on point with what we see what's happening in the colleges. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody.